welcome to the chalkboard my fellow football nerds for episode number 89 of chalk talk brought to you by the painted lines i'm your host shane half and you can follow me on twitter at half and half underscore tpl i'm joined today by the best co-host in the game you've heard him on the tough cover radio show it is mark henry jr be sure you give him a follow on twitter at mark henry jr underscore mark how are you feeling today I'm feeling like the Eagles are a win away from the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, the the birds are chirping, the sun is shining, uh, even though it's pretty cold outside. Uh, and yeah, no, I'm in a I'm in an absolutely great mood. Uh, the the Eagles have made sure that this week I have a, a stupid a stupid smile tattooed on my face. Uh, and we'll be talking about why. All right, cool. We're going to dive into it here. As we do every week, we're going to break down every game from the NFL slate. Those games are dwindling, so we're adding in previews, too. So we're going to review all of the divisional games. We will preview both of the conference title games. Uh, If you are watching live, we've got a comment coming in here. What's up, Shane? What's up, guys? Uh, You guys be sure to drop us comments. Let us know what you're thinking about these games. Um, We'd love to interact with you guys on the show. We are going to start, as we always do, with the Eagles game. Uh, we will go a little more in depth, although maybe not on this one. It was such a blowout. There's not that much to talk about that's interesting. <laughs> uh, before we throw it around to the rest of the NFL, and uh, you know, if you're new to the podcast, we do this during the season because we know you can't possibly watch every game. With only four games, it's possible you watched them all, but we'll give you our takes on all of them before we move to a preview. So we will start off with the New York Giants, the hottest team in football, according to sports media. <laughs> Uh, who hasn't won back-to-back games since October, coming into the link, and they got smoked 38-7 to by the Eagles uh, on the five-year anniversary, five years to the day of 38-7, to over the Minnesota Vikings to go to the Super Bowl. So uh, good omens all around. Uh, this was just a beatdown from beginning to end. The Eagles scored touchdowns on four of their first five possessions. Uh, they outgained the Giants 258 yards to 64 yards, uh, 18 first downs to three first downs in the first half. Uh, the Eagles scored their opening drive. New York opened with a promising drive. They drove down to the Philadelphia 35, and Eagles fans were probably thinking, here we go again, right? Just the dink and dunk down the field before back-to-back sacks led to a turnover on downs. The next five drives, the Giants went interception, at three straight three and outs. They had a total of 36 yards gained the rest of the half. The The Eagles sacked Daniel Jones five times, generated 13 QB pressures. They contained Daniel Jones. He only rushed for 24 yards. Uh, James Bradbury, with his revenge game, got an interception uh, on the Giants' second drive. Combined in this game, uh, James Bradbury and Darius Slay allowed two receptions for seven yards with an interception, a QB rating of 0.0. Uh, it, it was just dominant start to finish, Mark. That The Eagles rushed for 268 yards and three touchdowns on 6.1 yards per carry. They had 150 yards rushing before contact in this game. That's happened six total times this season, and three of those times the Eagles were the team that did it. So just incredible. We talked about the interior defensive line for the Giants Well, they held Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams to like two pressures and three run stops. Philadelphia ran 33 zone read rushes in this game, and they averaged 4.6 yards before contact on those plays. Just the same thing over and over, and the offensive line just paved the way. Uh, Total beatdown. And it made me feel like, you know, Jalen Hurts gets injured. 
misses a couple games. He, he comes back, plays the vanilla game plan. They're on a bye, and we're sitting here, and it's been a month and a half since you've seen the Eagles at full health try to just blow a team out. And maybe you forgot that the Eagles are the best team in football, but they are. And walking out of that game, I just don't feel like there's a doubt. Like The Eagles are the best team in football. And I really believe the only team that can beat the Eagles the rest of this season is the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, as a businessman slash mogul slash uh, rap artist would say, uh, Jay-Z would say, I think I got my swagger back. Uh, the Eagles for a month, you know, whether that be the Bears game where it was a little rusty and Jalen gets hurt, but you win the game. Then you obviously have the two losses without Jalen. He comes back and, you know, you're not showing the Giants anything. So a month straight, four straight games where it kind of felt like, and we talked about this on the pod, but all of the goodwill that the Eagles had built up by being so dominant all year long with the national media, they they disposed of all of it with those four games. And I think that they gained a little bit of that respect back, a little bit of that swagger back, a little bit of that, you know, we're the best in the world mentality back. Um and I think that, you know, it's hard not to to talk yourself into things after this game. And that's not because they beat some awesome team, but they did exactly what you're supposed to do when you face a team like that at any point in the year. And, uh, you know, I, I went on my buddy John Jansen's radio show on The Gambler yesterday, and he asked me, was there anything about this blowout that surprised me? And, and I sat there and I, you know, I couldn't really think of anything like there's, you know, even though it was so dominant, even though it was 38, seven, and even though I liked the Eagles to, you know, win handily and I, I liked the spread and I liked everything that came with the Eagles, even I couldn't have said they were going to win by 31 and hold them to seven. So it's shocking that it got away from the giants that much yet. Nothing that happened was shocking. And that just shows the talent disparity that was there. And you could see it in every position group on the field there. You know, maybe you take Saquon over miles, maybe Kayvon Thibodeau starts over one of the defensive ends probably does. Uh, but there's very few giants that would start on the Eagles. And you saw that in this game and you especially saw it when they played them earlier in the year when it was 48 to 22. And I know people wanted to throw that game away, but that game proved to kind of be indicative of what this game would become. Um, and if you look at the quotes after that first Giants game from the Giants, um, I, I didn't hear these at the time because obviously we're in our own bubble and we're listening to Eagles quotes. But uh, I was listening to a national podcast the week of the Eagles-Giants divisional game and they were previewing the game. They had a Giants writer on and he was reading some of the quotes that they had after they lost 48-22 about how guys hadn't been that overmatched since high school and the Eagles uh, just absolutely took their lunch money, one of the Giants said. And one of the other Giants said, I can't believe, I, I you know, I thought we were good, but I can't believe how far we are away from that team. Did people think that was going to change in a month and a half? With all the same players on the field and all the same coaches on the sideline, like I, I will never ever understand what happened last week that made everyone believe that this was going to be some competitive game that the Giants had a chance in. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're, we'll talk more about it. But uh, Peter Schrager, uh, a guy I'm a fan of, Good Morning Football, um, a, a show that I watch every day in the background at work, and. I tweeted it, you know, he tweeted something during the game about saying, oh, that Gainwell run at the end, symbolic of the Eagles performance, yada, yada, yada. 
And I just kind of tweeted back like, yeah, it's symbolic of a team that you ignored for the entire week while propping up a team that we all knew were going to get beat down. If you look at DVOA, you look at point differential, you look at pretty much any number that you can, it's going to tell you that there was a massive gap in talent there. And he all he replied with was, sorry. And then he went on on Monday and he gave a little monologue saying, like, you can either run from it or you can, you know, wipe the egg off your face and say I was wrong. And he admitted how wrong he was. So good on him. But uh, the whole media got absolutely tricked by uh, Daniel Jones. Yeah, yeah, we got a comment coming in on YouTube here. Bobby says, what's up, guys? I'm excited for this game. Uh, watching the Niners tape, I see a lot of opportunities for us to put up big plays outside the numbers. If mm-hmm. the coaches perform, we should score 30 easily. And we are going to get into that game uh, quite in depth here uh, in just a few moments. But I-, I tell you who I did feel bad for in the Eagles game was Miles Sanders. Uh, I thought Miles Sanders <laughs> played a phenomenal game. He had some really impressive runs, but he's the only running back that didn't score a touchdown. Boston Scott, of course, gets his. Jalen gets one. And then Kenny Gainwell goes over 100 yards and gets a touchdown. So Miles got left out of the 100-yard club and the touchdown club in this game, despite the fact that he played really, really well in this game. He had some really impressive runs. Yeah, Miles was great. I mean, the running game was incredible in general. I think Gainwell ended up at like over nine yards per carry. I know that that's influenced by the one big run at the end, but uh, Boston Scott was good when he was in. And, you know, it's funny. Last week, I, I, I said the bets that I would make on this game because we talked about it a little bit. And I don't know if I gave out each bet specifically. Um, I know I gave out Jalen Hurts touchdown as I do every week, which this is me giving it out for next week. I saw it at plus 140, which is a joke. Um, so Jalen Hurts, anytime touchdown, as always. But Boston Scott, anytime touchdown, cashed at plus 400. And then my my big X factor that we discussed on the show was Dallas Goddard. And Dallas Goddard scored the touchdown. He went over his receptions prop, and he went over his yards prop. So I – and, you know, I think Miles Sanders was – absolutely in running for the MVP of that game. I think Quentin Moore is absolutely right with that comment right there, even though he doesn't get in. I was watching um, the, the Barstool stream. They had a bunch of Eagles fans and a bunch of Giants fans yelling at each other together. And obviously when it, things started going well for the Eagles, I wanted to see some Giants fans tears. Um, so I, I tuned in to watch. And one of the guys was really funny. Um, I think it was, I don't know which touchdown it was. I don't think it was the Boston Scott one, but he's like, Man, Miles Sanders probably can't wait to leave you guys in free agency. You guys are taking away his touchdowns in the playoffs. And he's like, this guy's probably so sad. He's he's carrying you down the field, and then you're not letting him get in the end zone. And, and one of the Eagles fans responded with, oh, I think he'll be happy when he gets the Super Bowl ring. And, you know, there you go. That's that's my uh, – that's my that'll be his solace. Yeah, and then, like, the next day he tweets out the thing about how he loves Philadelphia and he hopes how he loves him, too, and wants to come back. And- <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. really that's really funny. Uh, got one more comment here. We'll answer this question before we move on to the next game. But uh, Pedro, uh, cheers from Brazil. Uh, appreciate you guys t- tuning in, especially uh, internationally. That's awesome. Heck yeah. uh, it says, do you guys think Jordan Davis will have more snaps versus the 49ers? Um, I, I don't. He just hasn't been heavily involved this year, really, uh, since that injury. And the 49ers, and we'll get into this, but they're a big outside zone team. So. Uh, that's not the that's not necessarily where he would make the biggest impact. So I, I really don't expect him to. I mean, he'll play, but he hasn't played over like thirty percent of the snaps since he got injured. So I, I don't really expect that to change a whole lot. 
I'll hold my comments because I don't want this to turn into something that it's not and something that me walking back some Jordan Davis takes that people do not want to hear, to be quite honest. So um, I feel I feel like I was right about a lot of them, but um, I think that this will be a long term issue with Jordan Davis. I don't think this is a 2022 issue. I think that this is we are going to be talking about Jordan Davis's snap count for the next five to ten years. I feel pretty confidently saying that. All right, let's move on to the other Saturday game. Uh, it was the Jaguars at the Kansas City Chiefs. This game was close. Uh, Jacksonville falls 20-27. to 27. Obviously, the Patrick Mahomes injury is the biggest news coming out of that. But before he got injured, Mark, he's got the jump pass. I tweeted out a clip of that. Uh, he has the jump pass, right? And then later in the game, after the injury, he has a jump pass in the red zone. He throws a touchdown, jumping off of the good foot. <laughs> can you imagine being a high school coach trying to teach mechanics to kids who grow up watching Patrick Mahomes play football? <laughs> like, so I was a high school basketball coach and trying to teach those kids fundamentals when they watch NBA basketball was just horrible. It felt like you were always fighting an uphill battle. Like I legitimately feel for high school quarterback coaches that are going to have to work with prospect, you know, kids in two or three years that, you know, they they were in middle school. They were in sixth grade watching Patrick Mahomes play, and now they're trying no-look passes as a sophomore. <laughs> like, I feel so bad for those guys. But he's even – he hopped on a scramble for a first down after the injury. He literally hopped on one leg scrambling for a first down. But he gets hurt uh, and just – you know you're a good team when Mahomes goes to the locker room and Chad Henney comes in and leads a 12-play, 98-yard touchdown drive. So there's a lot of concern about, you know, well, maybe is Patrick Mahomes going to play next week? And we'll get into that. All I'm saying is maybe he's maybe he's a system quarterback, you know. Chad Henney looking pretty good <laughs> on that 98-yard touchdown drive. Now, I obviously don't believe that. But uh, I thought watching this game, I thought the Jaguars played really conservatively early in the game. Mm-hmm. They were afraid of the pass rush. A lot of throws behind the line. I felt like they opened the playbook up later, and it worked. Like They started to claw their way back in. It was just too little too late. Uh, The Jamal Agnew fumble inside the five. Uh, You're down 10, five and a half minutes left. That all but sealed the game, and it was sad for a guy that just made a – he kept them in the game with kick and punt returns, and he almost housed the kickoff return Mm -hmm. uh, on that drive, and he gets you know tripped up. He houses that. All of a sudden, it's a whole different game, but – uh, that fumble kind of sealed it. Uh, Travis Kelsey went off in this. He had 14 receptions for 98 yards and two touchdowns. All of the catches were under 10 air yards. Seven of them were on hitch routes. It became very much a Mahomes can't drive the ball downfield, and we don't want him hit, so just throw the ball to Travis Kelsey immediately. And uh, he will put up a lot of receptions in this one. Took a lot of hits, too, something you could monitor uh, moving into next week. But with this game, uh, with this victory, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are tied for second uh, <laughs> in consecutive conference title game appearances with five. They're tied with Ken Stabler and John Madden for the Raiders, and obviously they trail uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, who had eight straight AFC title appearances. So uh, here in three years, 2026, we may be talking about Reid and Mahomes tying that record too. Yeah, Mahomes is it's absolutely silly. Um, the fun little stat here. The Jets have made four conference finals uh, as a franchise. Mahomes has made all five that he's been the starter in. Um, he's made five straight. He's never not made the conference finals. Um, it, it's un- unbelievable. Um, I, I, you know, 
I'll, I'll phrase it like this. How many quarterbacks would you take over one legs Patrick Mahomes? Is it more I, than five? So I legit, when, when he got hurt and he went into the locker room, I tweeted and I said, is it legal to play in a walking boot? Because I'm pretty sure Patrick Mahomes in a walking boot is still a top 10 quarterback. And then yeah, later yeah. on in the game, I was like, Patrick Mahomes in a walking boot might actually still just be the best quarterback in the NFL. Like It's absurd how good he is at this game. Yeah, and it, you know Dan Orlovsky tweeted it out today, and we'll talk about Josh Allen in a bit, and I think you'll even be more negative than I am. But um, Dan Orlovsky tweeted out, you know, yes, folks, Josh Allen is still in the same tier as Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, and that's incorrect because Patrick Mahomes is in a tier of his own. Patrick Mahomes is on a planet of his own when it comes to playing quarterback. Um, it's a it's a real shame. That Mahomes uh, obviously has this injury to deal with and, you know, definitely impacts their chances to move forward in the playoffs and could impact his legacy. And I think we're talking about the legacy and people are going to laugh when I talk about the legacy of a guy who's in his fifth year as a starter. I think you can start talking about the legacy because I think he's the greatest player to ever play the sport. And I think that we're going to be looking back of these years of dominance. And if he only ends up with one, two, three rings, we're going to be trying to figure out how he didn't win more. And I think, you know, just like we're going to look at that D Ford's offsides and just like we're going to look at um, not having an offensive line when they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we're going to kind of talk about the fact that, oh, if they don't win this year, uh, the, well, Mahomes got hurt in, in the divisional round. Um, but it's so funny that he's about the only quarterback that could get hurt in the divisional round and clearly be not 100% where – I'm still terrified of him if I'm Cincinnati. So, um, yeah, he, he is on a planet of his own. The other conversation I wanted to, to talk about in this game was uh, Kelsey. Uh, a lot of people started talking about the greatest tight end of all time conversation. Um, he's obviously the greatest receiving tight end of all time. Do you think Travis Kelsey is a better football player than Gronk was? Mm, that's That's tough. So It's really tough. That's yeah, that's tough. I think he, I think he will be considered better by the end of his career because he's obviously still got time left. Yeah, um, I think I would take. I think I would take peak Gronk over peak Kelsey, but Gronk spent so much time banged up and hurt. Like it, it's hard to it's hard to take that out of the equation. Durability was always an issue for Gronk. So, and part of that's probably because of the physical manner in which he played the game that Kelsey doesn't necessarily do. So, uh, probably a little bit of a contrasting style there. I would rather have Kelsey just for durability's sake. Yeah, I think that's actually a, a very fair argument. Pete Gronk, I'm taking a hundred times out of a hundred. I think, um, but the the longevity probably is where that gets him. I I will just say this is. This just dropped right now. Um, I don't know how legitimate this is. This is um, breaking news, but not about what we're talking about. Aaron Rodgers is being linked to the Colts by Schefter. The, the Colts are just this. They're this committed to to thirty nine plus year old quarterbacks. Yeah, I. Uh, so first of all, we can have this whole little tangent here, I guess. Uh, Green Bay is reportedly once multiple first round picks, which is a total non-starter for me. I'm not trading yeah. multiple first round picks for a soon to be 40 year old quarterback. That's openly what? flirted with retirement. Like it's not just paying him. You, you paid Tom Brady cause he was free and free agency. And 
you know, no disrespect to Aaron Rodgers, but Tom Brady takes the game just a tad bit more seriously than, well, any quarterback that's ever played before. Uh, there is no chance I would trade two first-round picks for Aaron Rodgers. I, if I was a, I wouldn't trade a, I wouldn't trade a single first-round pick for him if I was the Colts. If I was a team like the Jets, yeah, that's what I was, gonna... I was the quarterback away. That was it because the Colts are not there. The Colts mm-hmm. need to rebuild. They need to get a rookie quarterback. Quit halfway doing this thing. If I was a team like the Jets, I'd be willing to trade a first round pick. There is no chance I would trade two first round picks for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I that fit does not even make sense to me for just the same reason you mentioned. The Colts are worse than the Packers as a roster, and I don't even think that's close to be quite honest. So um, Aaron Rodgers, it would be absolutely hilarious if he wind his way to Indianapolis because he likes doing the Pat McAfee show. (laughs) I didn't even think about that angle. That would be kind of, (laughs) I didn't think about it until now either. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Anything else on chiefs Jags before we move on to Bengals bills? No, let's go. Okay. So Cincinnati, you have some, yeah. Yeah, I got some I got some spicy takes here. And the first one doesn't have anything to do with any player on the field, but I tweeted out during the game that whether games in the playoffs are dumb. Like Boo! Okay, so we're gonna have this fight. I had no Boo! idea had no idea that so many people were so committed to watching inferior products played in the snow in the playoffs. Uh, and I, I like tweeted that and I was just watching the game. Like, so normally I'm watching the Eagles game. I've got it on one screen on my computer, Twitter on the other, and I'm like screen recording clips on my phone. So I'm really plugged into Twitter. This game, I was just watching on the couch with the kids and I like fired that tweet off on my phone and I wasn't really super active. I came back later and that tweet got ratioed big time. Had no idea people were so dedicated to that. Um, I wonder if Bills fans will be so dedicated to let's play in the snow now that their pass rush couldn't do anything against three <laughs> backup offensive linemen because they couldn't get out of their stances without sliding. But that- I just, I, I, it's fine during a regular random regular, you know, regular season game. I just, I, I think snow aesthetically, it's nice. It, it impacts what teams can do, which makes it an inferior product. And it's a worse viewing experience. Like, Sure, Buffalo people are like, yay, snow, because that's our identity. But people don't want to go sit in the snow for a game like that. So oh, I'm a, well. I, I'm a big, like, I, I don't want I Anyways, but that's not even I, got anything to do with the game. I was just legitimately surprised that that many people were so, like, gung-ho about we should have snow playoff games. That baffled me. That, there's something beautiful about seeing the snow on the field. It's a, it's all aesthetics. It's 100% an aesthetics thing. I am you're probably right in terms of the game being an inferior product. I'm willing to, I'm it, willing to sacrifice that, I guess, for my eyes to be happy. But it does look I, cool on TV. And when I was a kid, you know, every year I get the new Madden, the first thing I would do is load up a snow uh, yeah, game to exactly. see the graphics because I thought that was the coolest look. So I get that aspect. Would not want to go to that game. Would not oh, play in that game. And I think it, it makes the product on the field worse. So that's the take. Um, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. For me, it just looks cool. And by the way, you hit on it. I, I think a lot of times, um, and this is just another random aside, but I, I think a lot of times people hear that, like, oh, there's going to be a ton of snow. Take the under. Bet the under. And obviously that is what happened in this game, that 27-10, it did hit the under. But what ends up, the, the, the group that's affected the most is pass rushers because mm-hmm. they're the ones trying to break out and and 
make a move so quickly, basically in a phone booth, that is where the slipping and sliding. Trying to bend the corners. Exactly. That's where the slipping and sliding is going to affect you. Not the receivers and running backs who know where they're going. It's mm-hmm. the defense who, A, don't know where you're going, or B, are trying to rush the passer. That is a big-time, big-time uh, mis- kind of misunderstanding uh, about snow games, in, in my opinion. But um, And it's also something that's going to be interesting for this Chiefs-Bengals game. Was the Bengals' O-line just unbelievable in a pinch and they did a great job? Or was the Bills' pass rush really slowed down by the snow? And maybe the Bengals O line was a bit of kind of um, I, I can't believe I'm 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 losing the phrase mirrors and what smoke and mirrors smoke yeah. and mirrors. Jeez. Jeez. I couldn't figure I couldn't find that one, but yeah, there's a chance that that O line performance could be smoke and mirrors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all I know is there was a whole lot of people that were sitting under blankets on their couches in their house talking about how great <laughs> snow playoff games were. And there were a whole bunch of miserable people in the stands in Buffalo, especially given how the game played out. But but getting into the actual game, I mean, Cincinnati just dominated this game the whole time. They were up 14-0 before Joe Burrow threw an incomplete pass. They scored touchdowns on their first two drives. The Bills went two straight three and outs. And Burrow Burrow was a wizard in this game. He had a time to throw of two and a half seconds. It negated the O-line injuries. And like you mentioned, I'm sure the snow helped as well. But the O-line was legitimately good. Like Joe Mixon averaged 2.6 yards per carry before contact, which is the highest number since late 2019 for him. Rushed for 105 yards, one touchdown on 20 carries. Uh, meanwhile, Josh Allen really struggled in this game. He was 25 of 42 passing. He threw an interception, no touchdowns. And the Bills running backs had 11 carries for 37 yards. Um, I feel like the Bills, We ta- I remember talking about this last year on this podcast, saying that the Bills have stretched running backs don't matter and the running game doesn't matter as far as you possibly can. And it's time to care about it a little bit. And they have not cared about it. And it costs them in this game. Um, and I feel like w- we can have a bit of a Josh Allen conversation here. Real quick, I, I, because okay, I think ahead. that's a long conversation. I think that's a long conversation, the Josh Allen thing. And I think there's a lot you want to say on it. And honestly, I don't have all that much to add, but we'll talk about it. The running back thing I want to touch on before we, before we brush by that. If there's ever been a team ever that has the right to go and overvalue running backs by either spending draft capital on it this year or by going and paying one of the many, many free agent running backs. I know Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, just two that come to the top of my brain. I know there's a lot more than that. I I think Chubb might even be one. I think there's a ton of free agent running backs out there. Nobody has ever needed one of those guys and one of those moves more than Buffalo. And it's funny to hear me say that because I feel like I usually kill those moves when you go up and get a running back in the first round or you go out and pay a running back. But given Buffalo's roster and given the, the amount of years now that they've thrown away because of the fact that they just can't run the football, uh, I think you have to go and make that move. And how many times, you know, in week eight against a crappy team where Buffalo runs for 150 yards, like how many times in the last two years of game recaps have we been like, Oh, Buffalo might have figured out how to run the ball. Like that would be huge if, if mm-hmm. you know. But it's never real. It's always against you know Chicago or you know the Jets when they stink. Like it, it's never a, a good team that they do it against. So 
I, I don't know. Uh, Buffalo, we'll talk about it with Dallas, too. Um, I, I was asked on that same show that I mentioned earlier on John Jansen's radio show, I was asked, like, what do you do if you're Buffalo? And then what do you do if you're Dallas? And I kind you kind of look at the roster, and it's like, you don't have many options other than to kind of run back most of the roster. And I don't really have an answer as to why they can't win. Like it's, it's kind of both. It's the same deal for both of them. I mean, like I said, I got a lot of answers for why Dallas can't win, but we'll get into that too. (laughs) We will, we will, but yeah, we will get into that. And I I actually think we might disagree a little bit there, but um, the Buffalo thing, that roster should be ready, right? Like we were told, Mm -hmm for the entire off season that they were already the Super Bowl champions. Like I have never seen a team that's never won anything crowned in the way that the Buffalo Bills were this off season. And I've never seen a quarterback who's never won anything crowned in the way that I saw Josh Allen crown this off season. And he was put on the same tier as Mahomes. And I think that that leads to this next conversation we're about to have about Josh Allen. Yeah. Like if you put Kenny Gainwell on their roster, as they're starting running back, even Gainwell, like that would be such an improvement for them. Like they have picked 27 in the draft. I will not criticize them at one moment. If they trade up into the teens and they go draft Bijan Robinson, Mm -hmm. wouldn't criticize them at all. Go pay a guy in free agency. Like you have got to do something, but so talking about Josh Allen and I'm going to couch this. uh, I'm going to put a lot of caveats to this. So if you're, thinking about clipping this, somebody that's watching out here and putting it on Twitter and yelling at me, make sure you get this whole thing. Clip, clip. I feel like this season, Josh Allen was on a Carson Wentz-esque arc. Now, much higher ceiling, much higher floor, much less often injured. But what I mean by that is it felt like they walked off the field last year in the playoffs. They score. Mahomes gets it into overtime in 13 seconds and then Allen doesn't get the ball and it feels like the pressure has been mounting for Allen. And outside of Diggs, they don't have a great receiving core necessarily and they have no running game. And it felt like as the season went on and he got injured too and that's part of it, but it felt like as the season went on, he began to put more and more of the onus of making this offense work on himself. And he started to play hero ball. I mean, his his A dot last week was 16 yards. That's absurd. Like he multiple times was not hitting checkdowns, not hitting guys that the play was designed for, and throwing nine balls instead. It feels like he thinks every possession, he's got to go score in three plays, got to go score in four plays, and the Bills have got to pull him back from that. And I feel like you have to pull him back from that by getting him a running game, having somebody, if he if he is, whatever it is, a quarterback coach, a, an offensive coordinator that can pull him aside and say, hey, we're going to be okay. It's okay if we don't score a touchdown every drive. It's okay if we go on a 12-play drive. Like They've got to do something to help him out because I felt like as the season went on, he started to fall into that hero ball mentality. I have to do everything. And I don't think the Bills did anything to pull him back from that brink. And you saw Diggs frustrated on the sideline going at Josh Allen uh, late in this game. Um, Bad vibes around Buffalo. And I think a lot of it comes back to Allen's psychology and not to, you know, psychoanalyze a guy that I've never met. And maybe 
Maybe the DeMar Hamlin thing plays into it. It just ramp ratcheted up emotion. Cause I didn't notice this from Allen early in the season. I really noticed it emerge in the playoffs two game sample, but a little bit down the stretch, maybe it's tied to that. The emotions tied to that feeling like you're playing for somebody else. I don't know. I just know I saw a guy trying to do too much and not trusting the system around him. And it was to the detriment of his team. Yeah, it's interesting. You want to know who the QB coach is there, Shane? It's Brady, right? Joe Brady. Brady. Yeah, it's our guy. It's our guy, Joe Brady. So uh, I don't know if he's not doing his job or Ken Dorsey's getting in the way. I I don't know what that is. Um, It looks like Dorsey might get hired away um, as a head coach, which is crazy after watching that offensive game plan. If you score 10 points with Josh Allen and you're the play caller, you should be like legally barred from you know ever being a head coach. Um, but just say in the interview it was in a blizzard. I couldn't do it. Buffalo won't put a dome on their stadium. I couldn't <laughs> do anything about it. Yeah, I I do think there's there is a there's more of an argument for uh, Buffalo should have a dome on their stadium. It feels <laughs> like it feels like that is fair. It feels like that's fair to say. Like they just have so many games like that have to be moved or can't like canceled or whatever the case may be i i feel like it actually there is probably a good argument there to put it down there but um yeah i i think that i'm i'm of two minds about the josh allen situation because i hate the, the the pour on a guy when they lose and all of a sudden they're overrated and everything's based on results. And that's clearly not what you're doing because uh, he scored 10 points. He was terrible in the game and it was at home. It's the year they're supposed to win. It's his, you know, it was supposed to be his MVP year and it was supposed to be his year in general. So I understand why he's being so harshly graded. My issue is he's probably still like at worst, the fifth best quarterback in football. So when people on Twitter and, you know, you put the caveats in there. You're you're putting you're giving him his his respect while criticizing him fairly. I'm more so a little annoyed at some of the Twitter um, Josh Allen discourse and how overrated he is and how he's never going to win anything and how he's white Dak and all, all that type of stuff. Where it's like, all right, like we can we can criticize a guy without going too far. Um, and I think you did exactly well, not that. On, not on Twitter, you can't. Yeah, that's fair. That's that's absolutely fair. Yeah, and, um, but and I'm I, with you. I, I think he's he's the top five quarterback. He's probably fifth, and, and there's points. Last year, I said he pushed Mahomes. He was into that upper tier with Mahomes at 1A, one, 1B. One one I'd probably have him solidly at fifth now. And he he's capable. It's just that mentality. It's that hero ball sort of stuff that I think really hurt him this year. Yeah, yeah. Again, I think that that probably is a bit more tied to the injury. Um, that then we're giving it credit for, but it's hard to know that obviously that's not quantifiable. So, um, I, I think he probably will have a better year next year, or at least a less, at least a less turnover prone year, if I had to guess. Um, uh, but yeah, I, it'll be, I'll be very interested to see I, the last thing I'll say on this game before we move on, I'll be very interested to see how Buffalo is treated this off season. Are they kind of finally treated like a little bit of a loser that can't get over the hump? Uh, almost how the Sixers are in NBA circles, or are they just going to be crowned again this offseason as the Super Bowl favorites? Um, I'll be very interested to see how kind of the media handles their offseason. Yeah. Got Quentin chiming in, says Buffalo fans would support a new stadium today for sure. (laughs) So we'll see what – we'll follow that developing storyline and see if I complain about it again next offseason. They are building a new stadium that I I know there's not a a roof. Yeah. 
Okay, let's get into the last game. That is Dallas at San Francisco. San Francisco wins 19 to 12 uh, in a defensive slugfest. San Fran held Dallas under 300 total yards. They held him to five of 15 on third downs, and they intercepted Dak twice. They should have intercepted him a third time, uh, and it, it got dropped. Um, as I look at Dallas, Dallas has to get more weapons. In this game, they targeted CeeDee Lamb 13 times. They targeted Dalton Schultz 10 times. And that was it. Running backs, 3-4. Michael Gallup had three targets with no receptions. Uh, Dallas was held to 54 yards rushing on 18 non-QB carries for three yards per carry. Um, for Dallas, well, we can get into a moratorium on them in a minute, but uh, flipping over to San Francisco, Brock Purdy really struggled in this game, especially when he was pressured. Uh, when pressured, he completed 33% of his passes, and he was sacked on 12.5% of those plays with a 12.5% first down rate. When not pressured, he completed 88% of his passes for a 53% first down rate. So pressure was the key. The 49ers allowed pressure, but they were able to recover. The 49ers ran zone coverage on 95% of their snaps in this game. Uh, they have 21 interceptions, which leads the NFL. And so they're able to come out of this game despite some atrocious game management stuff from Kyle Shanahan and from Mike McCarthy that I'm sure we'll get into. But what was your main takeaway from like 49ers Giants? Um, 49ers Cowboys. But I, I think sorry, yeah. the Cowboys are screwed. Like, I, I think the Cowboys are locked into what they are. I, I, we'll talk about the 49ers preview in the game. And um, I, so I almost want to focus on Dallas. What do you do? If you're Dallas, like I feel like you're locked into every major piece you have. You're you're locked into kind of a core of Dak Pollard, Zeke, CD, probably Schultz. You can't do much on that O line contract wise. Parsons is there, obviously. Lawrence is there, and, and that's your core. And, and I, I Diggs, Trevon Diggs as well. But it's not like they have a ton of money to go out and spend and, and, you know, get some big name guys and fill holes. And it's not like they have gaping, glaring holes. Like you could go get a receiver, a wide receiver too, for sure. And they need to do that. You could go get another corner for sure. And they need to do that. But it's not like this team has five holes that they really need to plug. And, you know, they're going to be even better next year. Like it feels like they're going to relatively be the exact same team next year. Yeah. Uh, step one, Mike McCarthy, gone. You got to fire him. Yeah. Him out of there. And to be honest, I wouldn't say no to promoting your DC to be a head coach. He's done a lot with that defense with a pretty shaky secondary. I've been impressed by the job that he's done. And I don't know. I, I don't feel like this is an overreaction. And I know that Kellen Moore was getting head coaching buzz for a while. I think Kellen Moore's got to go, too. Um, you look at Dak and the the offense, and it will be elite for a few games. And then there's a total clunker like this game. And, and Kellen Moore does nothing to make the game easier on Dak. There's nothing to get him back in a rhythm. Like It's like when he starts to implode, Kellen Moore just throws his hands up, and he's like, well, we tried. And you can't do that. You have to be more consistent 
than that. And so I think they need to clean it. You can't do a lot roster wise. I think you should try to get out of the Zeke and the Gallup contracts. And I think there's outs for those. Uh, and I like the Gallup contract at the time, but he's just not the same player after his injury. Um, I think you try to get out of those, but there's not a ton you can do personnel wise. I think you got to change up the coaching. And so I think McCarthy and Moore both need to be gone. I'm not as negative on Kellen Moore. Um, I think you could probably keep more. Um, I think you should keep Quinn. I just don't think Dan Quinn's a head coach. Uh, I think we've seen now that, that Dan Quinn is at best an average head coach, and I think he's an excellent defensive coordinator. So if he doesn't get hired away, I think you should just roll with Moore and Quinn. You should go get Sean Payton. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys should absolutely back up Jerry Jones's brink truck and, and pay Sean Payton and give up the picks and do whatever. Because like I said – it's not like they have glaring needs anyway. If you had to give up a pick to go fix your head coach and get, in my opinion, the second best head coach of my lifetime, I think I think Sean Payton would win a Super Bowl with this roster, to be quite honest. Yeah. And or so, I think he could, at least. Yeah. Well, then let's get into the game management. Uh, just atrocious from both sides. Uh, San Francisco kicked a field goal on fourth and two at the 29-yard line in this game. Uh, Dallas had a punt on a fourth and five from the Dallas 48 in the third quarter. They punted, they punted again on a fourth and five from the San Francisco 40 in the third. Ugh. They punted it to the nine yard line. That's a swing of 35 yards or 31 yards. So rather like it would have cost you 31 yards of field position if you went for it and didn't convert. That's just atrocious game management. And then punting on fourth and 10 from their own 18 with 211 while trailing. They got the ball back with no timeouts and 45 seconds on the six-yard line. So instead of needing 10 yards in one play and then a drive, they needed to go 94 yards with no timeouts and 45 seconds because of that decision. Just atrocious. Like, just terrible, terrible, terrible management for, from every respect. And then, of course, we've got uh, – I'm going to share the screen here, but we've got one of my favorite plays of the year. We, we've got what is this out of a timeout we've got zeke elliott <laughs> at center on the last play of the game like the 49ers eyes let it like they're not about to let me pancake zeke and go get dak and that went about as poorly as you would think just like that feels like that it feels like just the perfect representation of the cowboys that last year their last play of the season came against the 49ers when they called a qb draw with no timeouts and this season, it was against the 49ers where they decided to have Zeke Elliott snap the ball and be the only blocker on a hook and ladder play. Why? <laughs> These late games, like Mike McCarthy, he probably, like when Jerry Jones, when he talks to him and has to explain everything that happened, he's probably giving a speech almost saying almost like, you know, we got the ball so late that we were just rushing and we were doing whatever we could. We were trying to be creative. And it's like, yeah, you got the ball so late because you absolutely bungled your timeouts and your time management. And you punted the ball away way too many times when you had chances when you were down the field. And the reason that you're down a touchdown with 30 seconds left and no timeouts is because you've done a terrible job. And it's the exact same thing you did last year. And he's had to give the same speech to Jerry Jones after a San Francisco loss in the playoffs that was within reason to win two years in a row. Like, I think that that should cost you your job. And I know there's people out there like Dak who would say he's won 12 years in a row. It's a ridiculous question. And it's like, 
yeah, he's won 12 years in a row, and he's blown a chance to go, go further both years. Um, I, I think you can directly draw the Cowboys' failures to Mike McCarthy's failures. Did you see uh, after the game the official Dallas social media team basically oh. threw Dak under the bus? Yeah, did you see my movie pitch? No. Oh, my, yeah, I did. I did. Yes. <laughs> my movie pitch is – or I don't know if it's a movie, but I don't even know what it would be. But an Eagles fan – um, uh, I, I, he hates the Cowboys so much. Uh, he moves to Dallas for whatever reason, and he infiltrates the Cowboys social media team and becomes the Cowboys social media manager, waiting for the fateful moment for the Cowboys to lose a big game so he can so he can tear them down from the inside. And I, I believe that's what happened here. Like I don't I don't know who signed off on tweeting that, but that's just that's and, awful. And I saw people replying to it with like other tweets that the cowboys have had the cowboys twitter account is reckless like, jerry probably <laughs> runs it off his phone yeah like it, they do not care like dak had another bad game this year and they're like we cannot continue to have this play from the quarterback positions like you don't have to say that in the tweet like put it in the article no one's gonna read it but if you put it in the tweet everyone's gonna see it <laughs> yeah so all right well let's Turn the ta- turn the page here to the conference championship games, then. Uh, and we'll give a brief preview of each of these. So we'll start with the NFC side, where San Francisco will travel uh, to Lincoln Financial Field to play the Eagles. For what it's worth, these are the two best rosters in the NFL, two most talented rosters in the league, and they're facing off in the NFC title game, which is crazy to say about Mr. Irrelevant at third-string quarterback versus the guy whose own organization tried and failed to move on from him last offseason and then set themselves up to move on this offseason. But it is. It's the two most talented rosters in the league. Um, <laughs> just offensive skill position. You got For the 49ers, you got George Kittle, uh, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Juszczyk. The Eagles have A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders, like – you would think this game will have so many fireworks, but then you look at the defenses and the pass rushes are just absurd. Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa for the 49ers and everybody for the Eagles. The 49ers are fifth in pass rush win rate. The Eagles are first. Like this is going to be a, a Titan, a matchup of Titans. Like I'm, I'm more hyped for this game than I've been for any playoff game that I can remember. Uh, for, from like an analyst point of view, obviously mm-hmm. I was really hyped up for the Eagles Super Bowl. But this is the most excited I've been for any playoff game that I can remember. It's just such a good matchup. Um, Hassan Reddick versus Mike McGlinchey is going to be a big matchup to watch. Uh, McGlinchey gave up five pressures against Dallas, which was a team high. And, of course, you have the picture going around on Twitter where he was, like, <laughs> parallel to the ground as Parsons was throwing him down. I don't even know how you do that to a 300-pound guy. But Fun. Fun fact about McGlinchey, he is from Bucks County uh, in, in the Philly area, grew up a diehard Eagles fan, uh, went to Notre Dame, so I obviously have some some ties there to McGlinchey. Um, he actually grew up in the neighborhood of my one cousin, um, so uh, very funny ties to the McGlinchey, <laughs> to Mike McGlinchey. <laughs> I did not know that. That's kind of cool. So. Uh, and then, you know, the other side, you've got Nick Bosa versus Jordan Mailata is a huge matchup. Mailata struggled this year. He's 56th in offensive tackle pass block win rate and Bosa's ninth in pass rush win rate. 
you think about the matchups like the Eagles are first in points per game and yards per game on offense the 49ers are first in yards per game and points per game on defense like it's just it's gonna be it's gonna be an incredible football game and I can't wait yeah and it's almost you you mentioned something where it's you've never been this excited as an analyst and I I'm actually I'm gonna say that I'm very happy that this is Eagles Niners instead of Eagles Cowboys. I, I, I'll be honest. The, the focus is on the football. And the football is going to be fantastic. Like, I get it. Eagles Cowboys and the NFC Championship would have been a movie. It would have been unbelievable. You could have wrote a 30 for 30 about it. Like, it, there would have been really – and I would have talked myself into it being awesome. Probably would have been good for the ratings of my radio show. Like, everything about it, I get it. I'm with it. It would have been fun. But – now we just we get to talk about the matchups. We get to talk about where can we get San Fran? Where can San Fran get us? And I think that that conversation is just a heck of a lot more interesting than talking about like the 1980 NFC Championship between the Cowboys and the Eagles. Like I I, I don't care about that. So from um, a content creation standpoint, I like this matchup more because I've talked about Dallas and what they do twice this year already it's yeah, a great point and i don't want to preview a team for the third time for the second week in a row like it was boring <laughs> last week getting ready for the giants that would have been boring this week so i i'm excited from a content create now i think the eagles matched up better with the cowboys but I, I i'm excited this is the game we get you're probably right in terms of the eagles matching up better with the cowboys the 49ers are better than the cowboys i was arguing that even from a competitive standpoint i'd rather play the 49ers and it's strictly out of a uh, dak prescott has walked into philadelphia and beat us he, he has walked into philadelphia it will not be a new thing to walk into a crazy lincoln financial field for dak prescott whereas not disrespecting brock purdy because i actually think i've been more positive towards Brock Purdy than most people that, that talk about football. Um, I basically just treat him like he's Jimmy G. My opinion on the 49ers hasn't changed from Jimmy G to Brock Purdy, but Brock Purdy will be a little bit more bright eyed and bushy tailed walking into the link for his first road playoff game and only his third road NFL game. Um, so I, I'm kind of hanging my hat there. And then I'm also hanging my hat on the fact that I think we relatively know what we're going to get from the 49ers. And that's a really good football team. Mm -hmm. But with Dallas, you could have sold me on any scenario. Dallas shows up some weeks looking like the best team in the NFL. And then they show up other weeks looking like the worst team in the NFL, like they did against Washington. Last week was somewhere in the middle. Their offense looked crappy. But um, Dallas is just way more unpredictable to me, way more used to us. Um, I, I was a little bit more afraid of just some tangential things with Dallas. So all in all, even though San Fran, I'm going to give that, you know how I feel about Kyle Shanahan. Um, clearly we've had our wars there about Kyle Shanahan, but even from a competitive standpoint, I'm happy that it's San Fran Philly. Yeah. So who's the pick? How's this one going to play out? What do you think? I, you know, I'm obviously a Homer and I, you know, I'm not going to hide that. But I like the Eagles. Uh, I think that the Eagles are going to win this game. And, I, you know, the way things are shaping out for the Eagles in general, it's hard not to. And that's why they're right now these Super Bowl favorites uh, on the books that changed from Sunday over to now. Um, they have edged towards being the Super Bowl favorites somewhere around plus 240. Kansas City has one leg. Cincinnati has two-fifths of an offensive line. That didn't matter last week against Buffalo. It might matter on turf against a team that has four guys with 10 sacks in the Eagles. Um, 
and, and then San Fran. I think that you can throw on San Francisco. I think you can get the sidelines on San Fran. I think you can go deep on San Fran. Well, guess what? We've got A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. I think mm-hmm. that we have an absolute nightmare on the outside for San Francisco to deal with. Um, I, I think that they are the X factors. I think over under how many yards for both of those players. Uh, I mean, how many do we need to win? You think? I don't know. I think I feel like if you put up twenty, you win this game. I, I, oh, I point wise, okay. Yeah, I find it hard to believe that Brock Purdy is going to come in to Lincoln Financial Field and put up more than twenty. I mean, you saw what he looked like against Dallas, and Dallas's defense, they've got a legit pass rush. It's not as good as the Eagles, but it's good. Their secondary can't touch the Eagles, and he was rattled, and he did not look good. And I think it's going to be that, – and that was at a home game. I think it's all going to be ramped up. Like, I think the 49ers' offense is going to have tremendous problems. They're, they're an outside zone running team. The Eagles give up only three yards per carry to outside zone runs. Like, they're very good – Mm-hmm. That you can get them up the middle. That's not how they like to run. And so, of course, you could say the same for the Eagles. They're a really good inside zone running team, and the 49ers shut that down. And so it's a strength on strength both ways there. But you mentioned, like, Hertz has the most TDs and the highest passer rating in the NFL when throwing 25-plus yards. The 49ers' defense is bottom five defending that. Now, they, yeah. love, they love to mug gaps, change coverages. They're really aggressive. It's going to be a big post-snap processing game for Hertz. But I have not seen Hertz implode in a game since the playoff game last year and he's not the same player and he just doesn't do that. Like I trust Jalen Hurts to get the offense to twenty points and I feel like if the offense gets to twenty points, the Eagles win the game. And I'll touch on what I was just talking about with Brown and Smith there. I'm seeing that their props right now are at Brown his receiving yards prop is at seventy one and a half. And I'm seeing that Devontae Smith is at sixty six and a half. I think both of those are low. I, I think both of those will go over. And then here, just this is not important, but a quick aside here. I'm seeing Quez Watkins at 17 and a half. How many snaps did Quez Watkins even play last week? He I was feel like snapped by Zach Pascal, 22 to 25. I'm actually surprised it was 22. I, I would have guessed it was less. I wonder how many of those were late, to be honest. But um I would be shocked if Quez Watkins had 18 yards in this game. <laughs> it feels like he is not part of the offense. That might be a, a fun little a weird bet to place. Quez Watkins under 17 and a half yards. What a weird bet. Um, but I, I think Brown and Smith, if you get 150 plus yards from those two combined, I think you're going to win the game. And I think you are going to get that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm taking the Eagles in this one. And obviously Eagles fan, but I, I just feel very confident about the Eagles after what they did last week. Yes. 49ers are a better team. I just can't picture Purdy coming into Lincoln financial field and, and, and putting up that many points. So I, I take the Eagles. And honestly, I, I think the Eagles might win by double digits. I don't think they're a better team. I'll say it. I, I'm willing to say it. I, I, no, think... I meant they're a better team than the giants, not the Eagles. Oh, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Go ahead. Oh no. I was just saying like, based on what they, the Eagles did last week. And the 49ers are a better team than the Giants. Mm-hmm. I don't think the 49ers are a better team than the Eagles. I think they're the two most talented rosters in the NFL. Yeah. Um, obviously, the Eagles have QB1, and mm-hmm. the 49ers have QB3, and the 49ers have a coach that's an absolute coward in game managing, and he's going to give points away doing that. And so, you know, for all the good that Kyle Shanahan does, 
plugging a Mr. Irrelevant into his offense, and it's been quite good. He's going to give away opportunities with cowardly punts and field goals, and the Eagles don't do that. And so they've got an edge there, I think, as well in game management. Yeah, I, I, I'm i not going to go that far, even though there might be something fair there. I think Shanahan's just such a good coach. I think that, if anything, it's a wash there. Um, but uh, I think that the 49ers have a better roster outside of quarterback. I think they're by far the best roster outside of quarterback in the NFL. The problem is I think the Eagles probably have the second best roster outside of quarterback. And, oh, yeah, they also have a top five quarterback in, in Jalen Hurts. So, in, in all honesty... Jalen Hurts is the the X factor of this game. That sounds stupid to say to say that the, you know the, the near MVP it's, quarterback is, but he's it's the differentiator. That, it's that, and also their pass rush. Purdy is so bad under pressure, but not when he's blitzed. You need to get pressure without blitzing, and that's the thing the Eagles are the best at in the NFL. And so it's a good matchup for the Eagles from that point. The Eagles' pass rush is better than the 49ers. Um, and their quarterbacks better. And I think those are the two X factors in this game. Yeah, I think that I, I definitely agree there. And I, I think that we saw Purdy really kind of running into sacks you know, almost, it felt like, with Dallas, where the poise was just not there. And I think that poise will be even harder to find when you have uh, however many thousand crazy Philadelphia Eagles fans screaming in your face. Um, I, I think that it's going to be I'm not saying, you know, it's going to be a close game. I'm not saying it's going to be 38 to seven, like the Vikings or like the giants games. There are a lot of parallels to the case Keenum Vikings uh, in terms of the Brock Purdy 49ers. If Brock Purdy were to come in here and look pretty overmatched, there are a lot of similarities in in terms of that game. And I, I forgot to mention this earlier since I mentioned that game. And since I mentioned the 38 to seven thing, I had Seamus Clancy, who's a great Twitter follow out there. Um, I had Seamus on my radio show on Saturday, um, and he had wrote a piece that morning about the 38-7 Vikings game and how uh, five-year anniversary is the best, best day of his life as an Eagles fan, all this stuff. And I asked him how poetic it would be for us to, to blow him out, and we, we would face a similar team in Purdy next week. And he said, how, how poetic would it be to, to beat the Giants 38-7 on the five-year anniversary? And I was like, oh, that's crazy. And then, obviously, it happens. Um, so I just thought I'd throw that out there. Let's go back to back thirty-eight to sevens. I'd be a big fan. Let's <laughs> let's make thirty-eight seven just our like that's our score. We we aim for like how how Boston Scott scores against the Giants every week. Like no matter what, no matter what the score is of the game, if they have seven points, we're trying to get it to thirty-eight seven. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's throw it over to the AFC title game. Uh, this is the later game on Sunday. Cincinnati travels to Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, to face the Chiefs, Cincinnati has won three straight matchups with Kansas City, including knocking them out of the playoffs last year in the AFC title game. They rallied from 18 points down and won in overtime. They beat them in week 13 this season, 27-23. to 23, And the Bengals' defense, Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, has done a phenomenal job, uh, both against Mahomes and against another quarterback. The Bills averaged 28.4 points per game, and they scored 10 against Cincinnati if you go back and look at over the last two years if you look at Patrick Mahomes Josh Allen Justin Herbert and 2021 Aaron Rodgers whenever the Bengals defense has faced them they've allowed an EPA of 0.04 that's Andy Dalton this year 
They've essentially over the last two years turned Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, and Rodgers into the average of Andy Dalton, and that's just absurd. What they're able to do defensively, it's incredible. And in Week 13, Patrick Mahomes was held to his fewest completions of the season, 16, by the Bengals, while Burrow went 25 of 31 for 286 yards and two touchdowns, and he rushed for a touchdown. So we look at this game. Kansas City's got a good pass rush, especially Chris Jones, who's number one in the NFL, defensive tackle, pass rush win rate. And they get to go against a weak Bengals offensive line. And so you mentioned the smoke and mirrors of the Bengals offensive line. How is that going to go? Uh, Kansas City is likely going to play a lot of too high. They're going to try to take away the explosives downfield to Jamar Chase. And they're going to try to force Burrow to consistently drop back and hit underneath throws without getting sacked. On the flip side, I think Cincinnati has the advantage that nobody expected. They have the better quarterback. I think Joe Burrow is the second best quarterback in the NFL. Now Mahomes is hurt. I think Burrow gives them that offensive edge. I love the Joe Burrow quote. They asked him about, I don't know if you saw this, asked him about the Super Bowl window. What's the Bengals oh, Super yeah. Bowl window? And he said, the Super Bowl's win- the, the Bengals Super Bowl window is my career. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that mentality. I think they I think the Bengals definitely have better wide receivers. I think they've got a slight quarterback advantage in this game due to Mahomes' injury. They've got an advantage over the Chiefs corners. I think they've got the better defense. Like on paper, I think Cincinnati's gonna win this game. And it's probably gonna be close because it's Patrick Mahomes and it's the Chiefs, but I fully expect the Bengals to go into this game and take care of business and go to the Super Bowl for the second year in a row. Well, my wallet would like that, Shane, because I have the biggest future of my life riding on this game. Um, and that's saying something because I've, I've had a lot of futures in my life, uh, including the Bengals to win the AFC last year uh, at plus 800 around the same time. Halfway through last year, I came on this pod and talked the Bengals up and down and convinced myself in the midst of a pod to go and bet them to win the, to win the AFC. We, I did the exact same thing this year. If you remember, they were 5-4. and four. Um, They had just come off a win, and I talked myself in on this pod and said, you know what, I'm going to go place a bet. I did it 12-1 to one plus 1,200. I have three units to win 36 units. Um, uh, to give people an idea, I'm having a good month right now, and I'm only up 29 units on the entire month. So 36 units in one shot um, would, be, would be quite something. I am dying trying to figure out what to do. Uh, the Bengals are a one-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. I could hedge a little bit there and throw some money on the Chiefs because they are plus money as an underdog right now. Um, I'm kind of trying to wait to see what happens with the line and wait to see what happens with Mahomes' injury. and um, what you know. I think he's going to play. I think we all know that. But what information is going to trickle out in terms of how healthy he's looking, what, what are the videos at practice looking like, is he in a walking boot all week. Um, I, I think I'm going to kind of wait to make any decisions based on what I hear there. Um, but no matter what, it, it's looking like I am going to be just as big of a Bengals fan on Sunday um, as I am an Eagles fan, which is very funny to say if, you've got, if, if the listeners know as well as Shane knows how much I admire and respect and appreciate Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I guess I don't care out of the AFC. I don't have a rooting interest, but it just feels like all signs point to Cincinnati for me. Well, yeah, I was I was actually going to ask you that. So you don't think that one presents an easier 
opportunity given the offensive line for Cincy or given the injury for Mahomes, um, you don't think that one would be a potential easier matchup or a, a more dangerous matchup for our pass rush? Um, man, it's tough. The pass rush definitely you favor going against the Bengals, uh, in that regard, but their receivers are so good. Their mm-hmm. defensive coordinator is so good. Like you would rather face the chiefs defense and minus Patrick Mahomes, you'd rather face the chiefs offense too, but you don't ever want to say you'd rather face Patrick Mahomes and he would My- have extra time, you know, to get healthy there. So I think, I would say slightly. I feel like the Chiefs are the better matchup yeah. for the Eagles. But, I mean, it's a Super Bowl. You're playing an elite team either way. So, Yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting. I had, I, I had a buddy make an argument saying he would much, much rather face Kansas City because he believes in the pass rush. If Mahomes isn't going to be able to move around, he doesn't think that any of the Chiefs receivers are scary enough to hurt you. Um, within you know three seconds and so basically all you have to do at that point is cover Kelsey and rush the passer Um, easier said than done obviously uh, but it it does feel like you could double Kelsey in that situation early on and the improvisational stuff's going to go way down there's probably a strong argument for Kansas City being a a much better option Um, but Obviously, I am rooting for Cincinnati for other reasons. Um, And yeah, I think the X factor of this game um, is very much that Bengals offensive line. Is it smoke and mirrors? Um, Is the Chiefs pass rush good enough to get to that O-line? Or was what we saw last week not uh, an aberration? Was what we saw last week what we can expect from this Bengals offensive line unit? I think that is 100% going to be the deciding factor of this game. I guess that coupled with Mahomes' leg and, and you know, what he's able to do and how he's able to move around. And I, I just wanted to mention this because I'd be remiss not to um, on the Eagles 49ers game. I mentioned that Brown and Smith are the X factors for the Eagles. I think the X factor is definitively George Kittle um, for the San Francisco 49ers because I am terrified of George Kittle right now. Yeah. All right. So we both picked Eagles. You're rooting Bengals. Are you picking the Bengals too? Yeah, I'm going to trust that that offensive line performance was not a complete fake. Um, I'm going to go with the Bengals. The The line movement is telling me a lot. The, the Chiefs opened last night as or on Sunday as a three-point favorite. That line got to Bengals minus three this morning. It's back down to Bengals minus two. Um, but five to six points in line movement. Uh, it, it tells you a lot about the Sharps and what they're thinking of this game. And um, I, I'll ride with the Sharps and I'll go with Cincinnati. All right. So there you have it. We're unanimously predicting a Cincinnati-Philadelphia Super Bowl. So, so it'll be San Fran, Kansas so, City. Yes, it'll be San Fran, <laughs> Kansas City. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to about do it for our divisional round review conference championship preview podcast uh mark before we get out of here do you have any final thoughts or anything that you need to plug um no the tough cover radio show uh every saturday uh, you know last week i said it was the biggest radio show i've ever done and the most important radio show i've ever done probably the most listened to radio show i've ever done but uh john jansen on the show corrected me he said yeah until next week and i guess now i can say all week i have the biggest radio show i've ever done coming up this week uh, because it does feel like these Eagles playoff previews, uh, uh, you got to cherish them while you can. So um, 
yeah, the, just cherishing this Eagles playoff run over on the Tufkin Radio Show on Fox Sports, The Gambler, um, every Saturday from 11 to 1. All right, make sure you check out all of Mark's stuff. Follow him on Twitter there at Mark Henry Jr. underscore. Go tune in to his radio shows. Uh, great stuff there. I want to thank you guys for joining us for episode 89 of Chalk Talk. Those of you that joined in the comments live, we appreciate you guys. Uh, people listening later on Apple Podcasts, we appreciate you as well. Uh, do stay tuned to the feed here. I'll have an announcement coming soon. I'm looking into some different podcast hosting because I'm having some issues getting it out to anywhere but Apple Podcasts. So I will keep you guys updated there. Make sure you're following me on Twitter uh, in case I have to start a new feed. I'll be able to get that info to you guys. Uh, but for now, smash the subscribe button. Turn on notifications wherever you are watching or listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, like I said, at Mark Henry Jr. underscore, uh, at half and half underscore TPL. I'm on YouTube at Shane Half NFL. For me, from Mark, and from the Painted Lines, we will see you guys next time.